and more, psychoanalysis has to deal with cultures different from that belonging to its foundations and initial diffusion, and with the problems posed by the transformations of the contemporary world. The intent of Geographies of Psychoanalysis is to draw a map of the psyche that takes into account the interconnections and differences that occur in a now globalized reality. The focus of this first cycle is the problematic theme of death in different cultures and religions, and the ways of dealing with it in the event of the pandemic. This podcast series is created by Lorena Preta and the Geographies of Psychoanalysis Group, editing by Massimiliano Guerrieri. Upon any discussion on the elaboration of death in Iran, one inevitably comes face-to-face with the often-argued and examined notion that Iranians symptomatically suffer within a culture that is obsessed with the celebration of death, nostalgia, and mourning. Many interdisciplinary scholars in recent decades have examined and provided data which prove such tendencies and their disastrous consequences for Iranians. Here, Gohar Homayunpur attempts to delve deeper into the various palettes of the Persian blues in the name of integration and a continuous re-examination of our comfortably established notions. She attempts to add a but, referring to the various derivatives of Eris's footsteps upon the Persepolis of Persia, dreaming that this but might become a possibility for linking a sense of orientation, inspiration, out of these particularly destructive, melancholic aspects of the Iranian culture, orienting us towards a voyage from melancholia to mourning. Dr. Gohar Homayumpur is an author and psychoanalyst and member of the International Psychoanalytic Association, American Psychoanalytic Association, the Italian Psychoanalytic Society, and the National Association for the Advancement of Psychoanalysis. She is the training and supervising psychoanalyst of the Freudian Group of Tehran, where she is also founder and former director. Homoyumpur has published various psychoanalytic articles, including in the International and Canadian Journals of Psychoanalysis. Her book, Doing Psychoanalysis in Tehran, published by MIT Press in August 2012, won the Gradiva Award and has been translated into many languages. Homoyumpur is a member of the scientific board at the Freud Museum in Vienna and a board member of the IPA group Geographies of Psychoanalysis. Persian Blues The first thing that comes to mind when one is asked to elaborate on death in my geography is the often discussed and examined notion that Iranians symptomatically suffer within a culture that is obsessed with the celebration of death, nostalgia, and mourning. Many scholars in recent decades have examined and provided data which prove such tendencies and their disastrous consequences for Iranians. I have also written about this exact notion in my book, Doing Psychoanalysis in Tehran, with references to our famous myth, Rostam and Sohrab, from Ferdowsi's Book of Kings, Shah Nameh, the most celebrated Iranian source of mythology. Rostam and Sohrab has a storyline quite similar to that of Oedipus Rex. The main difference being that it's the father who unknowingly kills his son in the end. 
My extensive research shows that Greek mythologies appear to be populated with myths about the actual killing of fathers. While it's impossible to escape the common patterns of killing sons right across Iranian mythology, the wish to kill each other between fathers and sons is common across both mythologies. But who actually gets killed at the end and who gets rescued and is granted their right to life is where the culturally specific element can be observed across these mythologies. I'm convinced of the universality of the Oedipus complex and the struggle for power and control it represents, while embodying within it the universal fear of castration. The culturally specific element seems to be the reaction to this fear. My premise is that the Iranian collective fantasy is anchored in an anxiety of disobedience that wishes for an absolute obedience. The son desiring to rebel knows unconsciously that if he does so, he might be killed, and so, in a way, he settles for the fear of castration. Is this not also seen in the differences between Catholicism and Islam? Islam means submission and demands absolute obedience to God the Father while in Christianity the demarcation between God the Father and Christ the Son is not quite as clear. This is clearly a very complicated and nuanced discourse beyond the scope of this podcast. However, it appears that religions were socially constructed to fulfill the collective fantasies of these differing cultures. An analysis of Iranian history reveals it has always been a one-man show, while democracy was born within and is the essence of Greek society. In Iran, one can observe a moment of discontinuity from the past and also from the future, because we have killed our sons, our future. Ferdowsi's discourse communicates a great deal of pain, tragedy and mourning. We symbolically killed our sons, became alienated, and thus became a culture of mourning, for we have destroyed and killed the best part of ourselves. We destroyed our future and imprisoned ourselves in the past, eroticizing pain and suffering, and celebrating nothing that is not past. Could we say that Ferdowsi's discourse provides a diagnosis of the Iranian society? He's trying to warn us, awaken us. His discourse is often that of a depressive. Darius Shaigan, the late famous Iranian philosopher, informs us that the Iranian past is full of the myths and epics represented in the Shahnameh, in which there are continual allusions to the good attitudes of our ancestors, the beliefs and actions of our heroes, and the myths of our great kings. This is a very nostalgic recollection, in a sense a very nostalgic collective unconscious. One has to bear in mind that in countries like Iran, the past is everything, and unfortunately we do indeed breathe in the air of regrets, as Shaigan puts it. I still think all of the above assertions are significant, true, and noteworthy, but 
And this but becomes significant for in the name of a continuous re-examination and integration. Or as Lorena Preta puts it as the raison d'etre of the geographies of psychoanalysis project. To put psychoanalysis to work in different geographies in the wish for a reciprocal contamination. Not in the name of cultural relativism where we're categorizing, naming, and therefore identifying the other but in the name of a non-humanitarian hospitality, to use Derrida's term, in the name of a deterritorializing, where borders are delineated as barely visible lines. Within this discourse and above it, this but becomes a necessary act, a but that for me has only become visible after more than a decade of living in Iran and doing psychoanalysis in Tehran. Certainly not mutually exclusive to the above assertions, but as an attempt to thicken the plot. To just provide a few examples for the aforementioned but, can we escape the resilience that we observe when working with Iranian patients under an excruciating sociopolitical climate? Can we forget that this is inherently a culture of storytelling and is bestowed with a magical ability to play with language? encapsulated within Sherazad and the Thousand and One Nights? Can we also remember that this is a culture of an exceptional cinema, of hospitality, breathtaking architecture, of marvelous poetry and of wine? Yes, of the best of Shiraz wine, of pleasure, of Sufism Zarathustra and of the alluring quintessential Persian garden, an uncanny ability for humor and a hierarchy of friendship? just to name a few derivatives of Eros's footsteps upon the Persepolis of Persia? This is masterfully elaborated in Abbas Kiarostami's film, Where is the Friend's Home? The title is taken from a poem by the celebrated contemporary Iranian poet, Sohrab Sepehri. To return to my ideas at the beginning of the paper on absolute obedience and authoritarianism, possibly anchored in the Iranian collective unconscious. Well, the Kiarostami film is about a little boy, Ahmed, who accidentally takes his friend's notebook home. Upon realizing his mistake, he becomes terrified of the punishment that might await his friend from their severely punitive and cruel teacher if his friend isn't able to complete his homework due to the missing notebook. Our protagonist spends the rest of his day after school unsuccessfully trying to find his friend's house. The next morning, we, the audience, anxiously join Ahmed in his classroom, hurriedly returning Reza's notebook under our horrified gaze. We are terrified to see the punishment that awaits Reza, only to discover that Reza's homework has been completed by his friend. The movie ends here with Reza flipping through the pages of his finished homework and finding a lovely dried flower also left there by Ahmed. We can speculate that to find one's friend's home metaphorically to be an investment of the psychic apparatus's search and research for the linking process, or to put it in Andre Green's terms, the objectalizing function of the drive. This desire for linking indeed prevalent within the very being of the Iranian culture, 
is an antidote to authoritarianism and the death-orientedness of my geography. A binding that comes along as a cure to the unbinding of the death drive. All I want to convey within this but is that inherent within the Iranian culture is also the desire and the courage to search for a friend's home. In short, just as we cannot speak of pure destructiveness or creativeness, attempting to stay away from such binaries in Iran, we clearly don't even have any exclusivity to Thanatos, as such thing would be an impossibility in any case. We all have an internal compass, Eros, that could be our guide out of these particularly destructive aspects of this culture into the true meaning of the Orient, Eshraq, which in the etymology of the word means both inspiration and the place where the sun rises. In short, perhaps in the Orient, there's still a sense of orientation to be discovered for all of us. As we put psychoanalysis to work, even if, like Ahmed, we don't find our friend's house, perhaps the road we take will indeed lead us to his home. Over the years, I have attempted to delve deeper into the Persian blues, a word associated with melancholia, a mysterious Persian color, and indeed a genre of music which is as much a representation of life as death. Encapsulating triumphs and laments, loss, love, friendships, loyalties, betrayals, joys and fears. Just like my beloved tunes of the blues from the deep south, the sound of the slaves, the lyrics of the laments of the formerly enslaved and their descendants, Persian blues is associated with depression, melancholia, misfortune, betrayal, pain and regrets. But we should not forget that inherent within Persian blues, as it is within the tunes of the blues, there is also a sense of orientation to be rediscovered, possibly not only for my geography, but for yours as well, where pleasure, passion, humor, dreams and friendships are celebrated. Central to the idea of the blues performance is the concept that by performing or listening to the blues, one is able to overcome one's sadness, to lose the blues. It's precisely this inherent duality of life and death, Eros and Thanatos, that makes the blues such joy to hear. Persian blues is not about merely eroticizing sadness. It's not about drowning in it. It's about transforming it, feeling it, making music with it. Ultimately, it means going beyond the blues. Like Abbas Kiarostami, I have a hunch that in getting us to this beyond, from melancholia to mourning, a newly discovered sense of orientation inspiration will be instrumental towards a linking inherent within the project of geographies of psychoanalysis.